Welcome to NJASA's 11th broadcast of our Frontline Leadership for Extraordinary Times podcast series. Today's guest is no stranger to our NJASA members. He served as president, is currently on the executive committee, and is a trustee of the Education and Research Foundation. He's been a member of the legislative committee and the committee that established the NJASA Vision 2020 for New Jersey public education. He's a mentor for school administrators. Those contributions and his outstanding success as a district leader were acknowledged when he was selected as the recipient of NJASA's Distinguished Service Award in 2017. Welcome Dr. Brian Zakowski, Superintendent and Chief Education Officer of the North Brunswick Township Public Schools. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Baza. Welcome everyone. Thank you for inviting me. So we've all been uh, sheltered at work and at home. How is uh, your wife, Janina, and all your six children doing? Well, Rich, uh, the family has been blessed. All six children are doing well. I have three with me. Three others are with their fiancés and families, so they're all doing well. Four of them came from New York, so we are happy to get them out of New York in, in the area uh, where they were living to bring them back closer to home. And uh, so we've been blessed. All are healthy. So thanks, thank you for asking. Fantastic. I'm glad you're doing well, Brian. Brian, when you received the Distinguished Service Award, I introduced you with a John Quincy Adams quote. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Well, I think a new standard is being established for our educational leaders, and the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic is taking leadership to an all-new level. Tell us how you are managing and inspiring your staff, students, their families, and your local community. Well, thank you, Rich. And since you mentioned a quote, one of my favorite quotes is from Martin Luther King, when he said the ultimate measure of a leader is not when they stand in a moment of comfort, but when they, where they stand at times of challenges and controversies. And boy, this has been a great challenge. And, you know, Victor Frankl also says, when you can't change situation, you need to change yourself and what we do. And boy, uh, that's been very true as we experience this unprecedented uh, pandemic. And so what are we doing? How am I inspiring others? Well, I think you have to do it from the front. The district has been in full, not full operation, but the district has not been in full remote operation. We've been serving more than 8,000 uh, breakfasts and lunches each day for six days a week. So I have staff, the district has staff providing uh, the distance spacing and cooking and preparing, and then we deliver them to various uh, locations throughout our district. So it would be really a uh, lack of leadership to sit home and lead from behind. So what I feel is I have to be at North Brunswick every day, working with our staff, utilizing uh, the social distancing uh, requirements, and, and making sure that not only the staff knows that we're there and there's a direction, but the greater community. Uh, I've been fortunate to have a wonderful mayor and council and board of ed. So the mayor has invited me for seven days a week since March 11th. We've been on a broadcast, our local TV broadcast, uh, on our websites. You can see all our broadcasts. And we've been united in our message about what's going on in the community at whole, what's going on with, regarding this COVID-19. What are the schools doing? What can be done? What are we creating in terms of how are schools helping the greater uh, uh, community with our 
nursing services, our protection services, our food services, and of course, what's going on with this remote learning. We had to stop on a dime and we were ready to go and based on within relative, depending on the situation, you look at it, we did a very good job. But it was a good job because of the situation. We knew we had to get better. So describing that, working with our community, showing our growth as a organization of within this new remote world is really about a leadership. It's really about making yourself available, being connected. And so I look at JFK, John F. Kennedy said, you know, when he looked at other languages, there's characters for the word crisis. And the two main characters for crisis in another language, I think it's Chinese, it's really, they, one means danger, one means opportunity. So we want to make sure that although we emphasize this new world of danger, leadership is about creating the opportunities for families to heal, to get better, to deal with the crises, the releasing of the restrictions, and work together. So um, that's what we see leadership uh, in North Brunswick, and I have a great opportunity to have a forum to uh, reach out to my uh, entire community, not just the uh, educational community. Great, great looking at opportunity, right? Every, every opportunity has to be addressed and not just the problem. Well said, uh, Brian. You know, recently I interviewed uh, Long Branch Superintendent Mike Salvatore, who was our 2019 Superintendent of the Year. And he has a quote that he uses, uh, and he said, access is the great equalizer, and by affording children access to modern technology and high quality content, School leaders can create learning experiences and opportunities, that word again, far beyond school walls. Now, you mentioned North Brunswick has a diversified population. They're serving over 8,000 meals a day. How are you dealing with this critical issue of the digital divide where families don't have access? First, let me say, boy, uh, it's tough following anything that Dr. Salvatore says. He says it so eloquently. He lives it. He practices it. And plus, his back to school uh, inspiration to its staff one year was riding in on a surfboard. So it's, it's, it's hard to top Dr. Salvatore, but let me tell you that um, this great digital divide, it's really bigger, it's part of a bigger issue, uh, Dr. Baza. In North Brunswick, we, we call it our timely and timeless goal. Timely because it needs to be addressed now. We have a generation of children, we can't wait years to address the issues today, we, uh, in the future, we need to address them today. And timeless, because we know it's not going away. It will be there. It's up to us to continually address it and look at each and every year and getting that reflective feedback on how do we continue to make it better for students. Because those gaps, we can't afford to lose one child. To, our job as public educators is create opportunities for all students in every school, in every classroom, for every child, every day. So if you say that, it's a neat little saying, right? It's a great slogan, but how do we do that? Well, it's really about equity and access. Dr. Salvatore is so right. It's equity without access. It's like window dressing without a window. So the window is the access. And so here in North Brunswick, we've had that timely and timeless goals. So everything's been uh, filtered in our goals with equity and access for all children and not just uh, economically disadvantaged children, our special ed or ELL population, all through our diversity. It's the access to what's fair. And so luckily with that mindset, we have a very supportive board of education here in North Brunswick. And we've been uh, 
focusing our budget appropriations on like one-to-one computers, but not just one-to-one. How about the internet service? So we've been able to provide students who did not have internet service prior and not at any cost to the taxpayers as we wrote a grant with T-Mobile. So we had 4,000 hotspot mobile, they call them bricks, to be able to distribute to families that were not getting connected or not being able to connect to the internet. It's no good to have remote learning in it and great uh, um, Chromebooks if they can't connect to the uh, lessons, if they can't connect to the research. So this has been a, uh, the access has been a, a major part. Again, you can't have window dressing without the window. So the access has been the critical piece to break down the walls. But this pandemic has created another opportunity to look at equity, fairness, because students that were uh, normally not struggling due to a lot of issues surrounding with their uh, anxiety, surrounding their, um, you know, family situations, has brought others that you normally would not think fall into the disadvantage category. And so we have to make sure that we provide equity and access but we relook at those situations when students went from the brick and mortar to now home, we've been finding out many students had family issues. Uh, their, their parents were providers, healthcare providers. So that changed their world, their, uh, their mental health, their increased their anxiety, increased their trepidations. So we've been providing virtual services, nursing and mental health services. And that's another way of looking at equity and access because it's a barrier that it's incumbent. You know, it's great slogan, equity and access, but incumbent to us is looking at all the barriers for all students. And, and that's the only time we do that, we'll be able to increase the learning, increase the fairness and making sure that we uh, modify and change our direction with equity and access due to this uh, pandemic. So we're reaching out to more students, students that normally wouldn't need the help, uh, and while we're maintaining as much help as we can, again, uh, giving everyone access so we can meet our equity goal. You know, I've heard of uh, superintendents speaking to me about providing hotspots, but I don't think I've ever heard that that many, 4,000 hotspots, that's, that's an incredible number. We were lucky because um, the T-Mobile had a grant opportunity, and they said, uh, we applied for it. We worked together with them and it was uh, all part of the grant opportunity that when T-Mobile had a issue with 3G misadvertisement, the courts ruled that they had to help out and give back to communities. So who better than when we apply, we saw that apply to, we're a community, an educational community. We'll be very happy to take your donations to be, uh, to uh, help out a community in need. And so they gave us 4,000 uh, Wi-Fi bricks to allow students without internet access prior to the COVID. So we were ready to get moving because just like Dr. Salvatore said, this remote learning and learning needs to be funneled through the lens of equity and, and equity must have meaning access for all. You know, you referenced uh, in your in your comments talking about the budget and how you're providing opportunity. And we know here in New Jersey that we've got a significant issue with revenue, and that's having a domino effect on uh, school districts. And I know you have financial challenges just as uh, every district, you have a charter school that, to which funds have to be uh, shifted over from uh, your budget. 
Uh, what are your, or share, if you will, your budgeting strategies and what you're doing to reestablish because you had numbers that you were given in February, numbers changing now with regard to state aid. So tell us about your budget development and where you stand today. So North Brunswick, uh, we were the fifth most underfunded district based on our formula. I, I get very saddened by when we talk about, you know, I'm happy. It's kind of mixed blessings. North Brunswick was a recipient of more than $6 million in additional aid uh, due to the redistribution. But as we know, the other side is some districts were losing money. So I could just address North Brunswick. When we had the $6 million, we, we were providing uh, programming, but we knew the minute this COVID hit that we started preparing for the shortfalls in revenue the state inevitably was going to experience and is experiencing right now. And so when there's a shortfall in quarterly revenue, because the budgets are based on projections, we knew the quarterly revenue actual was really going to have a take a toll on the state budget, which would then would take a toll on us. We were uh, notified that we'd be losing $4 million of the $6 million additional aid. Uh, many people say, well, you're getting additional aid, yep, right? But a lot of it was to um, fund our adequacy and take care of local fair share, the two arms of the formula. But to that, we also have the hit, uh, extra challenge of additional $1.6 million that we still have to use and fund the local four of our local charter schools that are, um, you know, the funding comes to us and comes out and we present 90% of the cost per pupil to these schools. So it's going to cost us an additional 1.6 million. So really not $6 million. We were working on a $4.4 million addition of aid uh, budget to budget. And then of course, losing 4 million, we, we're not reducing the cost of charter schools or the funding of charter schools. So we, we have to cut $4 million at a $4.4 million. And what we've done, as you know, we looked at some lease purchasing issues that it's legal to do. So we took all of our money is very cheap now. And I have a wonderful board and they said, okay, we want to maintain our, uh, our cycle of one-to-one -one computers and one-time purchases. So taking a million to 2 million, which we've been doing over the last four years, we have the ability at interest rates close to 2% to get $2 million worth of funds for a little over $400,000 in a budget line that really is responsible because it's, it's a short term. And so sort of taking that long to get what we need today and modify and pay that line over a couple years. So that's helped us a lot as we increase that line to help out with some of our one-time purchases. So we saved a million dollars that way. Um, our capital expenditures, we're in the middle of our eight-year capital projects on all our roofing. It's about $20 million. I made a promise to our taxpayers. We, we only went out for one referendum in my 14 years. That was to build $80 million school, which we are on time and on budget. I have the keys and the TCO. We're excited about that. But I made a promise. We will not go out. We'll maintain a budget. We'll maintain strategic incremental practices to take care of our facilities, be proactive, and so we're on our sixth year, going on seven years of $20 million roof replacement and adding solar to that. And uh, we've been able to, because of the solar fund, uh, $14 million of energy improvement through ESIP projects. So using that, we're going to hold one year and delay that million dollar roof replacement. So there's another million dollars that we have to take and look at it. We can't do it, put it towards recurring revenue but we can put it towards other stuff within our $130 million budget, one time 
So that will save another million dollars. Uh, the Board of Ed is, the last thing we were trying to do is look at increasing taxes as we gave back of the four, uh, six million dollars, we gave back 1.6 million dollars of tax relief. Why 1.6 million dollars? We use the exact ratio that created this extra state aid for North Brunswick. We created the same ratio because it's based on local fair share, North Brunswick paying more than their local fair share and under adequacy. So we were much more uh, under adequacy than we were paying above local fair share. Of the six million, 1.6 million went back to the taxpayers to save on tax increase to reduce the debt service on our building project and some of our general fund tax levy. So with savings of 1.6, we're looking at that. The board is, we're not gonna take all 1.6 back, but percentage wise, we lost two thirds of our aid. So we're looking at maybe adding two thirds of that money saved because we're well, we're well below our, our, our tax cap, as you know, uh, because we're giving back the money uh, to the taxpayer that we will be increasing our tax levy from the general fund and some on our debt service. So we'll save some money there. And, um, and of course, all new hires. We're building a new school. Incrementally, we built up our staffing. We're in a position where with about 15 new hires that we can wait. We're asking, instead of hiring any of the new administrators, we're asking our current administration team to do a little bit more, to cover up, uh, to do more with less, and we're in difficult times. There's no way I could go to the community and add more administration. We have a very supportive community that has been giving us and building up our administration to have the right coverage. So we're gonna ask our, every one of our elementary schools has vice principals and instructional administrative deans and our middle school. And as we add this to this organization design, we'll have our administration that were, was going to be hired, put on hold, and we'll do a little bit more with less and uh, so those, and, and the other 15 uh, additional hires that we were going to hire are going to be, so no one's being laid off. We're gonna be able to put our additional hires based on the state aid that was linked to the state aid. We're gonna back off that. So that's close to a million dollars as well, Mr. Dr. Baza. So you could see that we're, we're working towards it. We wanna make sure we're uh, reflective of our efficiencies, but our effectiveness as well. We have to look at it as two tier, our taxpayers are hurting, our residents are hurting. So we're looking at, we can't just put it all on them. And we're looking at our efficiencies that we, our effectiveness that we're building up, that we have a moral, legal and professional responsibility to our students. So we're balancing that and we've been able to now soon present to our, I'm gonna to present to the Board of Education, uh, a, a balanced budget with the $4 million cut as I just outlined. Hopefully that answered it in a long winded way, but given everyone some ideas of what, how we looked at the issue. No, I appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners will as well, hopefully picking up some strategies that you're employing. So let's turn the conversation now to uh, one of the things that people are talking about, and that is how will school reopen? You know, we don't know yet whether we'll be virtually, whether it'll be some type of a hybrid in class and at home, or whether we'll be able to at some point return all students to the building. But however that happens and when the time comes we'll be faced with you know new expenses and uh issues that we have to face with regard to a healthful and safe and secure environment how are you planning uh, on providing protective gear and other kinds of things for students and disinfecting the school what's your conversation like in north brunswick with your staff well so immediately we knew at some point we're getting back right so i think we'll talk later as we go through this interview about reopening but let's just talk about those looking in the future six to eight months, whenever we come back within that period of time, um, 
we we already provided utilizing uh, and 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 um, filling out our cares funding that North Brunswick is a little over six hundred thousand dollars. So we said we need to put that towards just what you're talking about those protective uh, services, those protective habits like having hand sanitizers available at every classroom. You know, we have more than 1.2 million of square footage in our buildings, eight buildings and 10 altogether if you count administrative buildings. So we put in every classroom a, a portable uh, hand sanitizer for students uh, and we're using our CARES Act monies to do that one-time purchasing. We're, we've been ready in working with our county to look at our per personal protective gear and uh, if we have to, we're forced to go back and provide face masks and, and other gear that, that to our staff and students. So we've been really utilizing the CARES Act money, utilizing um, our current budget where there's been savings, as you know, uh, because a lot of our expenses have been put on hold due to this uh, uh, new remote learning. So we've been able to utilize what's being done now within our budgets to purchase and go forward to prepare our buildings uh, with all types, uh, prepare our custodians, our healthcare workers. Uh, we even created our new budget. We added two new healthcare nursing services providers within our budget uh, for 20, fiscal year 21. So we're using what we have in our current budget. We're using the CARES money to start doing the work now because I think the discussion isn't if we're coming back, it's really when we're coming back. But because we're the, we, we're, we work with the masses, everything we've done in schools is to bring people together. Efficiencies. We bus 6,000 kids a day. We have 7,000 kids in our schools. In the high school, we have two lunches of 925 kids per lunch. So even if we cut that in half, we're still going to be anti-social distancing organizations. So when the governor gives us the directive to go back, I don't know when that'll be right now, but we have to be prepared. And so we're doing those things now to prepare our, protect our staff so they can protect our students. So the security is not compromised. You know, Maslow's needs need to be taken care of first and health and security, the sustenance of children and families first. And that security, the healthiness, that practice is really what we've been focusing on now with the, the other eye on how are we creating the reopening plans when it's time to go? When it's time we get to nod? Because you can't do that. It's easy to, it was easier to go back into remote world on the dime. It's not going to be as so easy to bring children back on the dime. We need planning. So we're doing that now, but we're also planning for the time right now if we had to come back in September, October, November, when it, whatever that be, is. Sure, and it's a circumstance has changed in terms of how we're allowed to do things and we get more guidance from our governor and the Department of Education, that planning will get, I'm sure, much more focused. But, you know, related to this in terms of all the things that you're talking about to support your students and your community, one of the issues that rises to the top is talking about the emotional mental health of our students and not only our students, but their families and our staff members. What are your thoughts about this? That, first of all, the mental health issues was not just something in North Brunswick or Middlesex County and, and the state of New Jersey. It was a growing issue across the country. Mental health, that, that stigma, first of all, thank goodness so many folks have led the way to 
break down that stigma. Mental health, we were experiencing watching. It's not a special ed issue as well. It's regular ed. We're seeing it manifest itself in younger and younger children and adults. And it's really about anxiety, depression. It's, it's about these having their world and, and, and losing a focus. So we've been addressing it. It's one of our, again, another goal within our strategic planning, addressing mental health. And we created a, a contract with Rutgers University Behavioral Health two years ago. They are in our district working with families. So when a child has issues, we just don't send them out to a worldwide, okay, let us know when you get a clearance. They're working with UBHC right within our buildings. We keep connected with them. Our counselors keep connected with them. And our uh, UBHC is staying connected and following through, working with our folks. But now, as we work towards that, as we work towards social-emotional skills and weaving that into our curriculum, so the long-term planning of weaving that, those traits and those uh, lessons in our curriculum, we've been doing that over the last two years. We've been at it, a new challenge has been at it, this pandemic. Children need to feel safe. Children need to feel secure. They need safe spots. So we couldn't bat down our mental health initiatives. So under the leadership of our district nursing supervisor, we're fortunate to have such a great leader. She has created a virtual health office on our website. Each of our 11 nurses and, and, and uh, through the district and our mental health providers, including UBHC, have been calling our families, have been checking in with our families, have providing services. You know, it's nice that there was Mental Health Awareness Week a couple weeks ago in May, but that's a week. Mental health is an ongoing challenge. It comes and goes. So we want to be there 24-7. Our, our, our focus really is, although we're remote, we're here and connected. And so our providers are led by, again, our staffing, our partners have made this an even more aggressive initiative for North Brunswick because they, this issue needs to be addressed now. You can't worry about learning if you're worried about you know, other anxieties, other depressive issues, other barriers that come across with you know, mental health uh, um, complications. And it's not just our students, it's our families, it's their families bringing in this whole new world it's really quite frankly scary for all of us and our children. And so with that, we intensified that focus on that goal with our partners, with our, our own services, and with our heroes, I call our nurses, who've been working not only here in our district, on the front lines in some of the hospitals with our, uh, our mental health providers, our partners. So yes, uh, it's been a key focus here in North Brunswick, and I hope it's a key focus throughout the state because it's a time of need now more than anything else. And so as you talk about that and you talk about feeding the many families that you do, um, that kind of overlaps with the functions of local government. I know you work uh, very closely with your, your mayor and uh, all of the administrative representatives in the township. Tell us a little bit about some of the unique things you're doing during this period of time. Well, first of all, the, we have, as a superintendent, I want to say that this is my friend, even though this is my going to my 21st year, I'm a freshman, all superintendents, we're freshmen in this pandemic. This is unprecedented. So this is our freshman year. So it's great. And I say this to all of my colleagues. It's great that we have organizations like ASA that help us network. It's, and, and the lessons we learn from our partners, our, our, our colleagues, stay close to your leaders in your community. 
because community outreach shouldn't begin in time of crisis. It should be ongoing. It really should be part of what you do as a leader. And so we've been very fortunate to have the same mayor since I've been here more than 14 years. He's been here, oh goodness, more than 16 years. Uh, we have a wonderful board who works well with our wonderful council. And so that when this crisis hit, mayor immediately reached out to the board of ed and me as superintendent and said, listen, we want you part of our daily broadcast. When I say daily, since March 12th, every day, seven days a week, we've been able to reach out on a local TV station, on our websites, because uh, of streaming, uh, a live broadcast about what's going on in our community, the impact to schools, what are schools doing to work with the residents, what are the uh, resident, what are the uh, recreation programs from the mayor and the township providing uh, with our buildings, what, what's summer camps going to look like, what are childcare opportunities looking like, what's going to happen with, when, when graduation came in, the mayor and the council offer their facilities, their parks, what can we do together, how do we keep our community informed, not just our school, these are the same folks, and to divide it uh, is never the thought of any good business, but it's even more important to stay united, and I'm just fortunate to have those networks uh, built in prior, because that's what I've been accustomed to during the years, having the uh, ASA as guidance, working with the mayor and council to give that united message, that uh, connected message, that, you know, that face of we're here for you, not just with a ver not with a phone call, not with a, um, a press release, but in person, we're practicing social distancing. I'm live in studio most, some days, um, I'm being Zoom live on, on other days, but connected to the mayor's mission initiative of keeping our residents informed, uh, helped, giving those services in a united front has been very, very gratifying to me. I feel very fortunate that I work in a community as such as North Brunswick Township. And um, so we've been, uh, been able to connect to our extended community that way as well. It really talks to the stability that you brought as superintendent and as the mayor there so that you've got a good relationship, you know what to expect of each other, and you're really complimenting one another and working with the community. Really, really proud to see you do that. We talked a little bit before, but, uh, you know, we're in this very uncertain time now. What are your thoughts about the reopening of schools as we look past the summer and into the fall? Rich, Rich, let me just go back to the last question. I also wanted to say it wasn't just me. The mayor has allowed me to highlight our seniors, our achievements, our, our scholarship athletes, our academic acceptances. I've been bringing on Teachers of the Year because we didn't want to deny that, sir, that program so important. So going back to that last question, it, it's been more than just North Brunswick superintendent. The mayor has afforded me during the broadcast to really, on his broadcast, bring in those wonderful things in our district. So I, I just forgot to mention that. And to, uh, we're forever grateful as a board of ed to the mayor and council for that, because it really highlights the great things, our school district, our students, of course, and our staff. Um, about reopening of schools, I was fortunate enough to be asked to be on the regional task force representing this county area. Um, and I have to tell you that the news, I'll, I'll be frank, there's no way under the current guidelines, when we look at social distancing and the requ requirements of the CDC and what our governor is saying right now, as it is now, that we'll be able to open safely 
in September. There's no way we could social distance even if, if it's a hundred gathering, right? Think about what will happen. We have a high school of nearly 1,900 students. We have elementary schools of seven, 800 students. How are you going to split shift and afford yourself the transportation? We bus 6,000 kids a day of nearly 7,000. It's nearly impossible with the idea that social distancing is still in place. So with that being said, we need to reopen. When we went out for remote learning, within the context of stopping immediately and putting everyone out in a remote learning environment, we did well, but it wasn't the same. We got by and we're improving. I'm hoping for leadership from the governor's office that says, listen, we're gonna start under these conditions remote because then I will use the summer. We will have our staff who are getting better this growth mindset will provide even better remote learning until we can figure out how we can so safely social distance our students. You can't do split shifts right now. It's impossible. I don't have enough buildings space. Let us recommend to the governor. Let us provide, provide our buildings as childcare. I got 8,000 seats. I could do 800 needy families from K to five that need childcare so the economy could get kicking and everyone else could be remote. We could take those lessons. We could provide, and this is what we're recommending to the governor, we could provide those lessons for students who are in the childcare. But remember, we can't split our staff up. I don't know what the collective bargaining agreements will allow us to do. We're going to need a direction. We need it now. We can't wait for August. And my recommendation, based on the group that I'm working with, so I should say their recommendation really is social, if social distancing remains in place, we can't go to step two, which is provide in-seat learning right now. We can provide help to the governor. We can provide the flexibility. Give us time. We have unbelievable superintendent leaders out there. They will look at their district. There's so many configurations, K6, K8, small, big, busing, no busing. They will figure it out, the needs of their local community, but give us a direction the support of what we should be doing remotely will help you start the economy going and then we'll ease in safely when you lift those social distancing restrictions. Colleges are starting to lift certain things, but they're adults in colleges. They can spread out. They have more acreage. You know, schools, we've been designed to be efficient with our dollars. So we have less schools, less space to put everyone in. If social distancing, distancing stays in place, we're not going to be able to, in my mind, safely, safely put that liability on the boards of ed and safely educate our children on a daily basis with, remember, we flattened the curve. We didn't find a cure. We flattened the curve, which means we opened up spacing in our hospitals, opening up spacing in our doctor's office. The flattening curve did not provide a cure right now. And I know wonderful heroes are doing that and looking for a cure, looking for uh, uh, you know, a vaccination, a vaccine. But right now, learning public school, learning organizations, it would be very, very difficult, if not impossible for many of us to open up now. So the recommendation from the task force that I'm representing is that we should not reopen under the current conditions we are at now. Thanks, Brian, for sharing that. I, I'm of a similar Sorry mind. Sorry to hedge my bet and be so wishy-washy. <laughs> not at all. Not at all, Dr. Zakowski. Always straight to the point. Brian, it's been a, a great talking with you today. Is there anything that you would like to share with our fellow colleagues out there before we close our interview? 
And I would, Dr. Bosner, first of all, let me thank NJASA for your leadership, not overreacting, not underreacting, giving us services. But I want to say something to my colleagues. First of all, I want to say thank you to all my colleagues. I have been so impressed sitting on various committees, state committees, speaking at roundtables, hearing the wonderful work, the unbelievable creative leadership. The, remember, a crisis doesn't build character. It reveals it. And boy, has this revealed some great leadership. We have unbelievable educational leaders, not just superintendents. I've been hearing from principals and assistant superintendents. So first, let me say thank you for what they're doing for our families in New Jersey, for what they're doing for our students in New Jersey, what they're doing for our staff. So first, my first message is thank you. On a dime, stopping remotely and being there for our families, being there for our students, and being there for our staff. So I, I can't say enough. Secondly, I want to say continue to use your network. I've learned, so it's my 21st year as a superintendent, I'm a freshman, because, and I'm learning. I, have, I don't even know what I don't know for the next issues. This is unprecedented. So please, superintendents, please, educational leaders, use your networks. Use your association. Use the other professionals. We don't have to worry about if it's your idea. Take the good ideas. Utilize it. Scale it for your district. We have so many wonderful leaders in New Jersey. We're not number one educational uh, state for nothing. We have unbelievable leadership. So please use your uh, leadership. I uh, use your network. And lastly, I just want to say to all of my colleagues, stay vigilant, stay safe, stay well, keep our students and families safe. My best to you and your family. And thank you, Ms. Dr. Baza, for this opportunity to, uh, to uh, address everyone. Brian, thanks for joining us today. I'm sure our members will really appreciate your unique uh, insights and opinions. And to our listeners, remember, we will be distributing one video podcast interview per week. So please monitor your email, visit njasa.net, and subscribe to our NJASA podcast. Until next time, I'm Rich Baza. Stay healthy, stay well, stay productive. Thanks very much. 